This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Curator Ministries. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the table. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope everyone <laughs> managed not to gain 10 pounds and, and survived all the holidays. Um, I'm sure everyone's now shifting gears into Christmas. Doug, I find, you'll finally let us get our Christmas tree up. We have to wait to Aunt Sam until after Thanksgiving for Doug to let us put our Christmas no tree Christmas up. No Christmas trees before uh, thanks, for Friday after Thanksgiving is as soon as you can do it. It is. He allows, he allows us to put up the things outside. He, he gives us that. But inside, we always have to wait till after Thanksgiving. Um, so anyway, we'll be in the throes of that, getting everything together and all the things. Well, last time we were together, we talked about um, <laughs> dysfunction junction, and we talked about family dynamics and how challenging that those can be. Uh, we talked about the power of perception and how if you can change your perception on something, you can you can change your na- narrative. Um, this week, we're going to talk about this relationship that king saul had with the future king david um they ended up being uh in-laws they were at court together they were enemies i mean you could list all the things that these two individuals um experienced with one another and it was dysfunction at its finest Um, but i think when you actually unpack the story and kind of look at the different areas that they walk life out with i think there's a lot of lessons to be learned um on, and things that we can extract for our life um, today. Um, one of the things that we talked about last week was the importance of acceptance versus this idea of just denying that something's actually happening, right? Just accept, you know, the reality of it and, and moving on. And this important, uh, or and this idea of, you know, this idea of why is it important what other others think. Um, I shared last week with you the story uh, of a lady who runs this organization, and um, there was these competing competing organizations with the, in the same town that the the directors of and the affiliates of um, part of their kind of mo Doug to kind of garner business, and we've experienced this too. Some people, the best way to get business is just to steal it. And part of stealing a bu- stealing someone's business is to make the person that they do business with thinking that that's an inferior product, mm-hmm. right? It's not always true, but it certainly is effective, right? And that's what this woman was was having happen to her. Um, they were painting her in in the you know like she was, like this organization was incompetent. I mean, you all the things, and so it came to a space in a head with her where it was not only robbing her peace, but it was physically making her ill. Like it was all she was thinking about was constantly like putting out these fires of these negative things that, you know, people were saying about her. And and maybe I'm a little calloused, Doug, because you and I walked life out together where, you know, we ran ran a campaign where someone spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to say nothing but negative things about us. You're like, okay, well, who cared you know what i mean you become kind of calloused about that and so i i identify that but we had this conversation where she called me on a friday and was like you know they're saying these disparaging things it's it you know it's 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 ruining my reputation you know it's damaging my business you know and i and i cannot stop it and there's nothing worse than feeling like someone is doing something that's affecting you and you have no control right to be out to for a control freak like me doug to be out of control is a very uncomfortable space right i i love or 
feel the need. That's all I love. I feel the need to control things um, that I think are going to negatively impact me because I don't like sitting in negative emotion. I've, I've disclosed that before. And so I have convinced myself that more that I can control things, the less it would impact me. But the reality is the more I try to control things, the more out of control I really am. Does that make sense? And so I had a hard talk with her. Um, and I was like, okay, why do you care what these people are saying about you? And she was like, well, it, it's it's damaging my reputation. I'm like, okay, that's fair. Well, why why is your reputation important to you? She's like, well, I want people to think good things about me. I'm like, fair. Um, but you can't control that. The reality is people are going to think things about you and they're going to der- derive an opinion about you that may be counter to truth you can't control that everybody has an opinion and they're entitled to it people are going to say things that aren't true and there's nothing you can do about that so 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 then what so what do you what do you do what do you do with that do you know what i mean um i explained to her i was like you know these people that are saying and doing these things they they depend on your failing do you understand that that there will be people that are that come into your life that you your failure is a requirement for their success Saul had to fail for David to rise right and so you can't always like start you're just chasing ghosts if all you do is try to to patch my reputation here or vindicate myself over there or speak the truth over here because honestly it doesn't even matter to most of these people right most most of it is sport they're doing it for sport and they're doing it for self-gain. And so it doesn't even matter. You're shadow boxing ghosts and you're losing. Does that make sense, Doug? It does. And you start with the first thing. They said, gosh, she's, they are damaging my reputation. Mm-hmm. I would start with, is that really true? Because, um, you know, we live in a competitive – capitalism is based on competition, right? Mm-hmm. So in almost in every field, there's some level of competition. You know, you drive, you drive down uh, – uh, through Huntington, there's a lot of churches, right? So there's a lot of competition between even churches. But I, I would say that, and, and this is just generally when people try to sell me anything, if they come in and they the first thing they're doing is they're trying to tell me why something is inferior, I'm going to be pretty suspicious of, of that product. Most people, their product, hey, this is my product at first, right? This is what we are doing, mm-hmm. and this is why it's the best, and we, li- we like your business. Okay. Um, I have found that to be very ineffective in you know, in politics, you can get away with that because it becomes a binary choice, right? You can either choose, you know, person A or person B in, in kind of how our political system works. Mm-hmm. But very few things are like that in real life. Most time you have choice A, B, C, D, E, F, G, mm-hmm. and then you're going to have, um, cho- you know, choice of none of the above. And mm-hmm. and so um, I would find that kind of starting with that. So if you are, if your first for first position is this person, really are they? Are they really destroying, are they destroying themselves? If they're destroying yourselves, go ahead and let them. Don't do anything. Let them. That's a beautiful thing that you said, knowing what you can control and then just let them. Like, if they want to talk about you, let them. If they want to not invite you to dinner, let them. If they refuse to see your value, let them. If they church window shop and and, and choose a, another pastor that they can, you know, let them. Like, what would be the power in just letting them that's one of the things my father used to always say to me is you will win 70% of the time. 70% of your opposition will just beat themselves if you let them. Yeah. 
That's true. And what's interesting is that you have to, at least I am, This is I, I'm trying to wrestle this out with myself, is that getting to that space where you're willing to let that kind of thing go is really, really hard. Yes, it is hard. Because at, at my core, I'm a fixer. I've, I've, I've divulged that before. It relieves my anxiety, right, to, to try to fix things. I'm a people pleaser, right, at, at my root because – if I'm if I am saying yes to you, then I feel important and I feel like I have value and worth. And so I'm having to kind of step back, and like, okay, what is the motive of my behavior? Like, what is the root of it? Like, why am I doing the things that I'm that I'm doing, right? And I have to get to a space where I have to understand it is not my job to manage other people's emotions and other people's behavior. If my boss. If I know that if he, you know, if he walks in and there's papers all over the all over the table and that's going to trigger him, it is not my job to manage his bad day. Right? It's not my job to manage, you know, disappointment for my mom. It's not my, you know, job to, you know, manage my sister's angry outbursts or her tantrums or my husband's stubbornness, not you, I'm just saying, you know, in general, I'm just saying, not personally. Not my mom or my husband, just in general, or <laughs> get in trouble, or your or your wife's passive aggressive tendencies. That, all, <laughs> that alone, that's mine. Um, but it's not our job to manage those things, right? Like your ha- your happiness is not hinged on me managing that for you, and that sometimes you can get down this rabbit hole with people where you have to kind of, as I've said this before, you have to like unmarry that, you have to un- unhook that. Does that make sense? Yes, it very much does. I think that for myself, I have allowed myself to get into these very emotionally manipulative spaces. And it's not the person's fault. Let, let me let me lead with that. It is 100% my fault that I've allowed this to happen. Because I don't think that they, I don't think they realize the transaction. Does that make sense? And so I have identified that I'm a people pleaser. I've identified that I that I don't like for people to be angry with me or upset with me, or God forbid, disappointed in me. Um, and so I, I, I strive to, to manipulate and I strive to do everything I can in, in, in my life where everyone um, is reliant on me because I'm a reliable person and that they are pleased with me. Does that make sense? Much to my detriment, a lot of times because what I find myself in spaces is that people people will will learn pretty quickly that that is my Achilles heel and they will use that to manipulate me to get things that they want for me oh you're a people pleaser okay well if you if you if you don't allow me I'm, I'm going to if you don't do the things that I want you want you to do then I'm just going to have an emotional outburst and shut down on you and then you're going to go into fix it mode does that make sense? Or, you know, um, oh, I'm trying to think of another good example. It just, it just left my, my mind. But anyway, um, I, I get into these very, very emotionally manipulating scenarios and situations. And as, again, it's no fault of their own. I, I kind of ease myself into it. Does that make sense, Doug? It does. And so it reminds me of this um, of this story I was talking about earlier in the Bible with um, David and Saul, and they very much got into this space where they had this weird, emotionally manipulating um, relationship 
with one another. Um, it started out with uh, David being Saul's <laughs> emotional support blankie. <laughs> Do you remember? And it, it, the, 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 the chronological order is kind of wonky in the Bible because it talks first about David, um, about David, you know, playing for Saul whenever Saul would be discontent. And then it talks about David and Goliath and and all of these these things thereafter. But when you look at the chronological order, it, it, it begs to think that David, the David and Goliath thing happened prior to this because it, it, the, the Bible speaks of David as being a warrior. Well, he before David, before the Goliath incident, he wasn't a warrior. He was a shepherd. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you have this, this image where the Bible says that God had removed his spirit from Saul and that an evil spirit, a tormenting spirit, had kind of resided on him. And you get this impression like he was probably bipolar, like he'd have very manic moments of like aggression and, and you know, anger and angst. And then you'd have this pendulum swing and he'd be happy and go lucky and everything is great. Well, he was in these manic, angry states. Um, one of the soothing things that he would do was he would have David come in and play a musical instrument for him and it would it would soothe him and it would make him okay well you can imagine that he would have become very reliant on david for that and i think about all the people in my life that i have become an emotional support blanket for that they are 100 percent reliant on me to come and make it okay they're going to throw their tantrum and it doesn't matter what it costs me or how it affects me come make it better maria and i've allowed that I've allowed myself to enter that space with people, and I'm having to kind of unplug and and disconnect from that. So then it moves from him being his emotional support blanket to his enemy. And we're going to take a quick commercial break and put a pin in it here. But when we come back, we're going to talk about how David became the enemy of Saul. We'll be right back. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world. Welcome back, everybody. When we took our commercial break, we were kind of starting to dive into this very complicated relationship between King Saul and uh, the would-be King David. Uh, We talked a little bit about how Saul was reliant on David for comfort, kind of this emotional support blanket of sorts, how I kind of coined it. Um, and then there was a point in the relationship where things took a turn. Um, the first inkling you see of it was during um, this battle with David and Goliath. If you can remember, you know, um, Goliath would keep coming out and taunting um, the Israelites. And if you can remember about Saul, he was a head taller than everyone. So um, in this in this scenario, you would think that he would have been the one to go out and kind of challenge Goliath, but you get this impression that he just didn't have the courage to do that thing. And so here comes David. He comes in. He triumphs. Um, and then he gets all of these accolades for this thing that he's done. And Saul becomes very resentful of him. And there are going to be people in your life where that happens, where 
you have to be very cautious, especially especially if you have if you're the leader of anything, a leader of a home or a leader of a company. If there are people that come in and do things that you wish you would have had the opportunity or the courage to do that you feel like are exceeding you and getting the accolades that you think that you deserve or that you're not getting the same just respect that you should be getting because who's this young punk kid that come in and you did X, Y, or Z, you can become very resentful and and, and really uh, poison a relationship. Does that make sense, Doug? And that's what's happening here between um, Saul and David. And so you fast forward a little in the story and Saul's like, okay, well, I need, I need to get rid of this guy. <laughs> and so he understands very quickly that David is motivated by ego. And so he says, I'll tell you what, he said, if you, if you go into this battle um, with, then I will give you my eldest daughter, Merib. And so he understood that David didn't come from much in David's own eyes. And so to be, you know, the, the, the son-in-law of the king was a big deal. And so he was speaking to his ego. Had nothing to do with the daughter. Had nothing to do with love. It had to do with David and position and power acquisition. It was a power grab. It was a money move, right? And David's like, game on. And so he goes and he defeats um, this army. But when it comes time for Saul to do the right thing and give him his daughter, he marries his daughter off, his eldest daughter off to someone different. And so you have this space where he's kind of been hoodwinked a little bit. Right. But the feeling between these two men have not changed. Saul is still um, he kind of hates him. I'll be honest with you. He's growing increasingly resentful of him, paranoid of him because he realizes that there's going to be a transfer of power. He understands that God's taken his anointing off of him. He's been prophesied by the prophet that there will be someone new take his spot. And he pretty much thinks it's going to be David. So it's kind of like if you're the elder and your son's out of college, and he's coming, he's working for the family company, all of a sudden he's got all these great ideas and all these grand, ex, you know, and there's this, you know, this build, this expectation of this of this kid, and you got to sit back in the pocket and turn over the reins. You can become very resentful of that, and if you're not very careful, you can cut the knees off, the, his legs out from underneath him and set him up for failure, and that's what's happening with David. So Saul's like, okay, um, I have a daughter, and she actually loves David. Um, she's confessed it, and he sees this as, as an opportunistic moment where I can use her as a uh, a pawn in this game. She, she will do what I tell her to do, and she will be a snare. He calls her. She'll be a snare to him. And so he, he sends word back to David and said, listen, I'm going to give you another shot at this. You get another shot to be in the king's, in the king's family. Again, play into his ego. Um if you go and you you know slay these hundred men and bring me their foreskins, I'll give you my my second daughter. Um, and what's interesting is that David's like, okay. And what jumps out at me about this scenario, Doug, is is when he says, "I'll give you a second chance to do this thing." And I think about how many how many people are we just trying so hard to impress? How many people are we just gutting ourselves? to try to get acceptance from. Does that make sense? And it doesn't even matter what it's costing us. It doesn't matter that they're disingenuous. He is literally setting David up for failure because David's failure is required for his success in his own mind. Does that make sense? And there are people that will do that. They will literally set you up to fail because they need you to. Does that make sense? 
It definitely does. Uh, you know, the way you were saying that, I think it's interesting the word he gave him a second chance. Like, second chance at what, right? Like, mm-hmm. so clearly in Saul's mind, he, he he's come up with something to justify what whatever reason he made for not giving him the, the first daughter, right? I'm going to give you a second chance, even though he completed the task. And he should have been entitled to the first one. So you would think that that... that that David would be like, well, I'm not doing that, right? Like, yeah. I, I went through this one time with you. But it is Fool me once, right? <laughs> but it is often, you'll see that people fool you once, they'll be fooled a second time, third time, almost more likely if they're fooled the first time. Yeah. They convince themselves that, okay, well, if I do this, then... Well, what they're seeking is acceptance. It's like that, that family member that you're constantly trying to get validation from and acceptance from. At some point, you have to maybe explore the idea that this person is broken, and I'm and, and they cannot give me what I need. Saul was broken. David was never going to get acceptance from him. Th- that's what he was chasing. He was never going to get that because Saul, he wasn't a whole man. And so sometimes when you're in these toxic relationships that are one sided and you're trying to, you know, you know, get this person to accept you or get this person to love you or get this person to be proud of you, fill in the blank. At some point, you have to step back and like, is this person even capable of giving me what I need? Is this person just a broken person at their core? And I would think that that's what David's butting up against here, right? Um, I also think that it's interesting that with with the second opportunity, as he put it, um, the Bible says in his mind, he said, you know, you know, I'll get I will destroy David and I'll never have to put my hands. I'll never touch him. What he was doing was he thought he was setting him up himself. He thought he was setting David up to an impossible task that he would fail at. And so he would be able to destroy this person by backdooring it. And isn't that what gossip is? I can remember a scenario um, where I watched a family who there was two sisters that were combative with one another. And one sister was incredibly manipulative. And she kind of befriended the sister-in-law in this, in this, in this family and would just kind of gossip and plant seeds of discontent and discord with the sister-in-law. And so eventually the sister-in-law blew up at the other, at the other sister and just fractured this family. She was able to destroy something without ever putting her hands on it. And that's what, that's what, Saul was doing here. He's like, I'm going to backdoor this guy. I'm going to set him up for a failure that will destroy him, and I, I don't have to take any accountability for it. Does that make sense? That happens in business. That happens in in relationships. That happens in families across the board. Have you ever seen that, Doug? Oh, I think you see it all over the time with people setting other people up for success um, or failure. And so you set someone up for failure, then when they fail, then, you know, oh, well, you know, that they get what they want without actually saying, listen, I don't want this person in this role, and Here's what we need to do to move on. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately for David or for Saul, David was successful, and so he was able to literally put his life on line a hundred times, kill these hundred Philistines, and he brings the evidence of that. And you, you, you wonder because his daughter loved loved David if she was like, okay, Daddy, did what you said you were going to do. You have to do the right thing, and so he does. He he marries her off, and then you fast forward in the story some more where. At this point, he just full-on hates David. He, he can see the writing on the wall. He can see that he, you know, that he is successful in all the things he's putting, putting his hands to because, really, he envies his anointing. The anointing he once carried, now David has, and it, it scares him. Several times in the Bible, he says he was, he was fearful, fearful of David. And so some time passes, and 
Michael is the name of, of Saul's daughter, who is now, sorry, kid, now married to David. And so Michael finds out that he is going to, that her dad is going to kill David. He just can't, he can't take this anymore. And he has a plot to, to, to assassinate him. And she goes to her husband's like, listen, dad, this is what dad's going to do. Um, I have a plan where, you know, I can save your life. And she goes, she gets this idol and she dresses it up and she surplants it in his bed and acts like he's there. Long story short, she gives him time to flee and to get out of town. And finally, when the guards figure out what happens, they bring her to her dad. And her dad's like, why would you do this? Why would you betray me like this? And this is the first time you see Michael, who who probably gets a real sobriety check. Because what jumps out at me at this is David didn't take her with him. Like, he fled for his life, but he didn't take her, his wife. He left her to pick up the pieces. Because I can't imagine daddy's going to be very happy about the scenario. And so she's like, well, he told me if I didn't do it, kill me. So you see her kind of starting to manipulate and probably get a pretty good imagery about what she's actually dealing with with David. Because remember, he loved her. I'm sorry, she loved him. He he was advantageous. He loved the power grab. Maybe not necessarily her. And there is a hard moment in life when you realize that you love someone differently than they'll ever love you. That you value someone differently than they will ever value you. Um, and then what do you do with that when they leave you behind? And so that can be hard with a spouse. It can be hard with a spouse who's advantageous and chases after their dream and you feel like you've been left behind. And that's what's happening to her. And you fast forward much further in the story. Um, Saul has now passed away and David has become um, the king of, of Israel. And at this point, the Bible says he's taken on many wives. He has many children, many concubines. But time has passed and he still left her. And she is remarried. And at some point, he has this epiphany. Oh, you know what? I, I remember that old girl. I'd like to have her back. And so he sends for her. Well, she's remarried. And she's remarried someone that loves her. And so because he was the king and her first wife, she's taken away from this man that loves her. And the Bible says that this man followed after her. And at one point, um, the people who were accompanying her back to David stopped him and said, you have to stop following her and you have to go back. And it, it gives you this image of sometimes sometimes you just have to stop and let them be, right? That you have to realize that though I love this person and, and, and though I, you know, I desire something different, this relationship to be different, this circumstance to be different, this job to be different, this dynamic to be different, sometimes I just have to stop and realize I cannot have that thing back and I have to just let it be. And that's what happens to him. And it's interesting. It was just a little blurb in, in, in the Bible, but it's not lost on me, that lesson. And so she goes and she reunites with David. And what's interesting is this first image that you have of her, um, he's dancing in the street. And it, you get the impression he's probably loosely covered uh, because she actually calls it lewd. Um, he's dancing in the street victoriously before the Lord. And it, it said she despised him in her eyes. And I can imagine that if you've been the one left and you have this sobriety moment where I went on with my life, man, I married someone that loved me. I went on with my life and you decided to pick me up and play with me again, how love can turn to hate pretty quickly. And that's the vision that you have it is that he is down there dancing and celebrating. He has a life that he wants. He doesn't care what it cost me. Um, and she despised him in her eyes. 
the Bible says. And so when he comes into into the the room where she's at, she was like, you made such a fool of yourself. Look, you, you were dancing down there. I'm your wife. And you were dancing lewdly in front of all of these servants and all of these people. Why would you why would you do that to me? What she's saying is like, why would you embarrass me like that? Why would you get me out in public and, and embarrass me? What I've sacrificed for you, you would embarrass me like this? Because sometimes you can be the Micah and you can sacrifice and you can love and you can you know give to someone that will never be reciprocated right sometimes you can be the david who can be so advantageous and so ambitious that you stop seeing people especially people that you love and sometimes you can be the saul and you can be so paranoid and so vengeful and so hurt and broken on the inside that you know you're you're driven to these depths of behavior that you don't even you don't even identify you become very murderous right um really rooted in jealousy and really rooted in an insecurity and so in all of this story with these three characters i can actually identify with all three at different points in my life right and how very broken parts of us can be very damaging to other people. What do you think, Doug? I think all of us have been all three of those people mm-hmm. in different times, different chapters with different people. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the good thing is, the one thing that I hold to is that, you know, God never treats us like any three of those. Like He's, he's not jealous of us. Even as much as we reject Him, and even as much as we turn away from Him, He always leaves a constant He always loves us, and he's not in some jockeying position for power with us. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, loyal listeners, and we will see you next week at the table. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world.